Welcome to the Paychex HR Leadership Series. I'm your host, Rob Parsons. I lead the content team here at Paychex, and we write extensively on a variety of HR topics, covering everything from HCM technology, to team engagement, to compliance with state and federal regulations. Joining me today is Cy Wakeman, a New York Times bestselling author, international leadership speaker, trainer, consultant, and drama research. Deemed the secret weapon to restoring sanity to the workplace, her work is focused on giving leaders reality-based tools to recapture drama's emotional waste and upcycle it into real results. Sai, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. My pleasure, Rob. So when we last talked, you were maybe stranded is too strong a word, uh, <laughs> but you found yourself uh, in another country during this quarantine. Absolutely. When we last talked, I was in Mexico and um, was there for three months, completely alone in um, a house on the beach and kind of sat out the first part of the world health crisis um, from that perspective. Tell me, it's, it's, it's interesting because it sounds nice on the face of it, but you still have a business to run. You still have an organization you're trying to manage. How did you do it being so separated from everybody? Well, we, for one thing, our team is pretty ready up for what's next. We are very tech savvy. We work from being, we're on the road. So we already were virtual and we were already presenting many, many of our programs virtually. But I would tell you, I got at first, yes, stranded in Mexico and um, didn't want to travel back because of some health reasons. I, we saw um, probably six months of our bookings cancel in a single week. My team was scrambling for uh, many, um, we had a whole Ditch the Drama tour that was supposed to be um, nationwide that we had to cancel and regroup on. So my team is very resilient. They're ready for what's next. We got together, we kind of war roomed the situation. We figured out what was top priority, who could do what, and everybody just jumped in and made it happen, which is just who the, the reality-based dream team is. That's fantastic. Definitely the whole... Uh, event and experiential marketing situation has been completely upended. Yeah, it really has. Well, I would say it's been upended for people who had skipped multiple upgrades ah. until this happened, because what I saw is that not everybody felt the same level of disruption from the world health crisis and then some of the very amplified and activated conversations on race in this country. Not everybody was that taken aback? It had to do with your awareness, your readiness. It had to do with whether you were leaning in and facing forward so that you could rise up to such a big disruption. That's really interesting. You've mentioned uh, your team. You don't even have a traditional mission and vision statement um, anymore. Does that play into this idea of leaning in and looking ahead? It really does. It, it also plays into this idea that we are involved in a conversation with the world, even on what our mission is and what um, our, our vision is, because, you know, at the face of it, we help people modernize their leadership philosophy so that they can, you know, capture all this energy that's wasted in drama in the workplace. But basically, the minute you set your mission statement and post it on the wall, it's no longer relevant if you're awake in a world that's always changing. And so I think like vision and mission statements are 
come from the ego. They're how I intend to shape the world. But many times they lead us to be in a position where we aren't co-creating and the world can't shape us. So we're not evolving. And so I just found them to be really archaic. I moved away from them. And, but needing something for an interview one time, somebody said, Sai, do we even have like values? Do we even, you know, like, do we have, what do we have in common? And off the top of my head, and this really stuck for my company, I said, basically two hashtags, two mantras, love wins. So everything you do externally needs to be kind, respectful, and um, as inclusive as possible, as um, uplifting as possible. So love wins, hashtag. And the other one is evolve yourself. Be um, involved in a very deep relationship with the world so that as much as you're trying to have impact, you're allowing yourself to be shaped by the world. And if we are all evolving ourselves personally and evolving ourselves as a team, we will automatically have a mission and fulfill the vision that we've co-created with the world. So it's kind of woo-woo, it's kind of out there, but I really feel like mission and vision statements are ego statements on how I want to change what already has happened. I want to change history rather than the future. I, I love that. And, and I love that, that concept of proactively evolving yourself. Here at Paychecks, we've been talking a lot about forced evolution. There's a lot of things people have I wanted to do, a lot of things, yeah, people thought would be, would be great. If only we had time to do it, all of a sudden, we're doing it. We had to. Totally. And I just want, you know, being caught in Mexico solo by myself, literally no human contact for three months when everything first happened. And there were, I had just lost um, a 15 year old nephew who was killed in a tragic car accident. Many other things are blowing up in my world personally. And I was down there and I had a friend say to me, you know, what, Sai, you can go through this as a prisoner or a monk you choose. And I really felt it was forced evolution for me and for others. And in fact, I asked people, what has this pandemic revealed to you? And I was doing a lot of work just helping people manage anxiety. And it really revealed to most of us, do we have good habits and discipline for self-care? No. Um, do we have a good relationship with stillness? Do we have a good relationship with uncertainty? Um, how, are, how tech savvy are we? How are our Zoom skills? And I really think that as all of this happened, and then now, as I said, we're really in an amplified conversation about finally figuring out um, um, race in the country. It's like, if, if that caught you by surprise, you may not have been keeping up with the times. And so there is some forced evolution, but if that forced evolution is painful for you, it is a big sign about um, not only where you need to evolve next, but where you skipped some mandatory upgrades. So a lot of us at home are learning a lot about the state of our parenting skills when we can't get our kids to do what we need them to. We're learning about boundaries. Um, you know, are we in a partnership where one of us does all of the extra work while the other one makes sure to recoup? And so I just think force evolution is fantastic. I try and keep my team out of a position where their evolution is forced and in a position where their evolution is voluntary and co-creating. 
I, I really like that. And I, I like that you, you touched on the, the anxiety that comes with, with all of the change. You, you had a previous life as a social worker. Absolutely. Is, there, is there layers of that that you, you bring to the table uh, when you think about that and try to help people understand how to, and I also love the term upgrade. You're not yeah. just talking about upgrading technology. We're upgrading everything here. And a lot of us skip upgrades, right? It's like even maybe we get into a partnership and then never read another book on relationships when we read 20 of them while we're dating. Like you can't like suddenly start skipping upgrades. Otherwise you're going to be the guy with the flip phone you've had since high school um, rather than, you know, you're the one we have to like call because you don't get group texts. So what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm sorry I derailed. I just, I did love that upgrade thought. Yes. But so yes. <laughs> when it comes to anxiety, almost all I think of how I coach and most of the content I put out in our leadership training, and now we have peace and happiness at work for employees, has to do with my background as a social worker and good mental processes and mental health. And so what happened during the pandemic, I immediately started to go on Facebook Live and give people um, strategies to manage their own anxiety, their own grief, their own um, pain. And what makes our work in the world so different is we really come out with leaders and help them work with people um, based on, you know, informed by brain science and based on behavioral health economics and those things that um, I used back when I was counseling. I, I, I like that you laddered over to leadership because I can see some very different things are being required of leaders right now. And, and they don't just have to upgrade themselves, but they have to upgrade their organizations. How do you suggest they even start? You know, so um, I'll give you a couple of answers to that. On the one hand, if leaders had modernized their, um, their leadership philosophy, it, again, it wouldn't be such an upgrade. Uh, but where leaders that need to start um, and continue to grow through, I'll just give you kind of five steps, and then we'll go back to managing energy. So in any type of crisis, there's some predictable steps people will go through, just like grief. And so normally I don't like to talk about the stages of grief if we're changing your software, because that was based on big stuff like death. But in times that we're in, we really do see some people um, moving through predictable crisis steps. The first step in any um, crisis for a leader is to do everything you can to ensure the safety and um, of your people and that they have the basics. So if you go back three months ago, four months ago, whenever I've lost track of time, you know, people said, okay, in two days, everybody's working from home. Don't leave your houses. Um, we don't know what this is. You know, um, make sure you have a way to get groceries. Like in that moment, what leaders needed to have done is really be checking in with everybody. Are you, um, do you have the food you need? Do you have the ability to, you know, school your kids? Do you have, uh, you know, enough laptops in the house to make sure everybody has what they need? Up to and including, are you in a safe situation? And if not, here's a confidential way to tell me that. Um, whatever that might be that you're really looking out for safety and basics. 
The next step is to help people remember they're not alone. So you've really got to connect people into each other and start getting them focused on some meaningful work because engagement is all about meaningful work. And Jason Lawrenson does some amazing stuff on that, but it's like connecting with each other. So instead of you being the point person and in the bottleneck, make sure that they know that Karen is at home doing the same amount of work and connect them. And then you basically need to do triage. You've got to say, okay, given this new reality, what do we have to get done? And what's our short-term solution where we're just kind of, you know, rigging things together. And most leaders kind of rested there and they thought this will go on two weeks. We'll have everybody back, but guess what? Nope. So the next stage, you can't just stay with this temporary stuff. It's not efficient. The next stage is take this opportunity to question everything you're doing. Usually you put a PowerPoint slide through 32 edits because it's going to be presented quarterly and you have a two camera shot where everybody's in studio. Question that. Does that really need to be done? You know, do we really need um, you know, people showing up in suits and ties at home? You know, so those are the basic things, but radically simplified to the point that everything you put back in, you are questioning whether it has any return on investment, whether it fits to where we want to go. And then the final stage is curate and choose intentionally what the new normal will look like for you so that you bring through breakthroughs at discovery and innovation. And you really capitalize on the learning of this. You have um, grown people's resiliency in this and that you're going forward. Now, these are stages, but I would tell you that then with protests coming, many people, we went right back to stage one. Are you okay? Do you have the basics? Um, let's say I'm wheeling, reeling along and my father gets COVID, that I'm back to stage one. So the difference on all of this is, is that as a leader, we cannot let people stall out in a stage. If they're, if they're three months into this and they're still like, well, I really still haven't figured out how to work with my kids at home, okay? It's like, we can't let you stay there because you're panicked. We don't accommodate the fear. We accommodate the courage. And so how do you call people up to greatness? If three months into this, people are still having issues with kids, you need to start pushing what's your plan for you to have set time that you can dedicate to work. What's your plan to stay on track and, you know, keep moving them up that platform. Now people will return at random times to anxiety, Rob. I do it. We all do it. Just at times you're like walking through the park and all of a sudden you're like, why am I anxious? Leaders need to also manage the energy of people, not take care of their feelings, but manage the energy away from, we're all going to heck in a handbasket, we can't do this, it's too hard, it won't matter, to what do we want to create and how can we make that happen? Leaders don't manage people, they manage the energy of people. And when people get anxious, a couple of things leaders can do. One I call come close in. Most people are anxious because they're way out into the future. If you want stress, get a future, right? It's like, so when people are like, oh my gosh, but if you think through this, a second wave and three months from now and what that's going to do to supply chain and distribution and how are we ever going to give people performance management 
um, ratings because it's been such a mess up here. If you're way out there, I, as your leader, I go, come close in for today. What is it you need to focus on? And currently, what do we need and what resources do we have in this moment? What do you know? And then go from today or sometimes this hour and move out into this week, this month. Now we may be doing supply chain planning, but it's based on what we know, not what we fear. I liked how you had to also acknowledge everybody's in a different place. And you can't, this, this idea of this personal layer of leadership, you touched on a little bit, but how do you help people, instead of just sympathizing, how do you help people be accountable, take ownership, and take that next step up a level? Because I can't fill every cup. My cup needs to be filled too. It, it gets exhausting. It does. And what I am also the pandemics revealing is what I call lazy engagers because people who relied on the organization or on their leader for their purpose in life or their, their external motivation to get work done, we've got to use these times to call people to greatness and to help them be evolved by force evolution um, which increases their resiliency. This is the very time to be working on people's resiliency. And so empathy is, I see that you're struggling. And then the next thing is a call to greatness that says, given this situation, what are your plans? And my favorite word is given. You might say, you don't understand. Both my husband and I are working from home right now and it's tough. Given you have two people on calls working from home, what's your plan? Well, you don't understand because any given day, I don't know if my parents are going to be here or not going to be here. Given that your parents are not a stable, reliable daycare, what's your plan? And what you're doing is you're taking what could become a reason starting an excuse and you're putting it into, it's just our reality. Our reality isn't the reason we can't succeed. It's the reality in which we must succeed. So for me, it's not backing down on accountability. Just because people have been impacted doesn't mean a helpful thing to do is decrease accountability. And in fact, this is the moment to grow people's accountability because I ask people in my research, how did you get to be a high accountable? We measured them high in accountability and they said we were challenged and not rescued. Yeah, sink or swim. And they were yeah, able to swim. Sink or swim. Now, supported, yes. You don't just, you know, throw people off a cliff, but we were challenged and not rescued. We were left in some discomfort. We got some feedback, real feedback, but the feedback was short. I need this done and, you know, I'm not going to... Um, be able to give any lead way on it. You didn't accomplish it, whatever it was, the feedback short, but self-reflection is really long and it's all about the sense-making mentoring. And so one of the things leaders can do to call people up to greatness is use questions and assignments to get people self-reflecting um, because that's really how accountability is born. You challenge people um, it's resilience is, is a big part of accountability. You challenge people, you let them experience accountability, you give them your feedback, and then you invite them to say, you know, what'd you just learn about yourself? What is this revealing to you? Where do you need to evolve next? What's your plan to get fluent in this? So rather than making, lowering the standard, I want people to up 
the incentive for growth. I love that. And I love that you purposefully make them a part of the process. Absolutely. Another, another element that I really liked was your, um, your Marie Kondo approach to when we get back to things. Be very, everything's out. Now yeah. let's decide what we're going to put back in. What are we going to, it, it's like the, the cleaning of the closet. It absolutely is. And what I love about this is for all victims out there, there is a hard stop and a hard start because I currently, if I step up, can be part of planning and influencing what's going forward. So guess what? A year from now, I can't complain about it. I created it. So that, that curating, and, and I love the Marie Kondo, everything that... Um, you put back in needs to bring you joy or fulfill the mission. And by the way, we need to get to be minimalist. We need so, um, we need far less than we think that we need. I'm all for, I think this could be a breakthrough to the point where we can get down to four hour work days. Like I just really think there's all kinds of things to be had here, but, um, we, especially I talk about, um, or I just talked to a women's group. I said, as women, if we go back to what didn't work for us without question, then shame on us, shame on them in the past. And what I mean by that is how many times in the women's bathroom, we all complained about having to dress up at work and being expected to wear makeup and being expected to like play some role. If we leave our yoga pants and we go back to work, fully made up, unless that's what we love and prefer to do, more power to you. If we go back, we can't be victims about it because now we'll have had a hand in either accepting it or designing it. That's, that's extremely interesting because you're talking about not just work processes, not just technologies, but um, cultural artifacts. Yeah, those expectations that are just structurally you know, put upon us. So I want to shift gears just a little bit now. We've talked about how I can help elevate team members to, to be accountable, to own their own actions. That still doesn't feel like it gets me all the way to this idea of resiliency and having them prepared for these five steps and prepared to, to walk themselves through it um, as they need to be. Any thoughts on how leaders can cultivate that type of resiliency in their team? Sure. Step number one is look at what this pandemic's revealing for you leaders, because I had a nurse manager come to me and she's like, you know, I have a nurse who just will not treat COVID-19 patients. And, you know, I've offered her a different position and different hours and she basically just won't accept any of it. And I said, well, what does that reveal to you about how you've managed her in the past? And she said, you know what? I allowed myself to be emotionally blackmailed and I let that nurse carve off parts for a job she didn't like. And so one, this is your own reality check leaders on how much you've coddled your people because resilience is something we will develop if appropriately challenged. It is something that we will kill off if um, we are coddling our people. So what we know about resilience, resilience um, resiliency is not this thing about perseverance or stamina or, you know, the one who came from the most dysfunctional home. And so we can overfunction and tolerate, you know, mm -hmm. ridiculous situations. And that muscle through approach to resilience has been rewarded. And it, um, a lot of people confuse resilience for that. 
we found out the most resilient people don't look like they're working very hard, oddly enough. The most resilient people are good crowdsourcers, meaning they don't have to um, heavily exert themselves as much as they have to tap into their resources that are pre-established. So what we found out for resilient people when we studied them, there's three main, well, four main differences. One, resilient people had um, bigger networks of positive relationships. And what that meant is like, oh, Rob might remember I, you know, did a good deed and got to be a guest on his podcast. When I call and say, you know, Rob, do you have any ideas for me? You're going to return my emails quicker, right? Because right. it's a positive relationship yep. and a large network of those. And that means that I'm connecting far beyond um, where my employer connects me and I'm connecting with experts in my profession. I am, um, you know, a global citizen involved in social media. So people had positive connections. And then they were really living Brene Brown's vulnerability piece where these were also the ones that asked for help early and often. Resilient people were people that had pre-established networks and then just crowdsourced right. for an answer. That was like it. Didn't wait till it was too late. Yeah. Didn't wait till they were failing. Yeah, because you can't build a positive relationship in the moment. These positive relationships are over time. You really being active in your profession and known, you have a good personal brand. Basically, to put it in today's terms, you got a good personal brand and you have relationships already established. It feels like giving is a, is, is, is a critical part of that. It's a big deal. And resilient people are outer focus rather than inner focus. They aren't always worried about me looking good or I'm going to get my stuff done first and then I would help you. Part of how you, you develop resilience is you overcommit and you have social pressure that it's like, dang it, I promised Jerry I would get him that thing tonight. And it's just a favor. Resiliency is born in those moments where you have to push yourself farther. Resilient people also did not base their confidence um, uncertainty. So a lot of people are like, Sai, you don't understand, like my confidence is shaken. I don't, I used to know what to, you know, tomorrow would bring. I'm like, no, you didn't. That was always an illusion. Your ego just had you fooled. People need to build their confidence on one. I have confidence in myself, not ego. Ego is I am smarter. I'm right. I know the answer. I'm better. Confidence is I bring some good stuff to the table. I got some good, deep expertise. And I'm also confident that I don't know what the future holds, but I know together we can figure it out because we're together, we're genius. And that became really obvious. And then the fourth thing is that resilient people were evolving. They knew how their mind works, so they weren't getting played by their ego. And they knew how the world works, so they weren't arguing with reality all the time. So they were really able to conserve energy. So it was really surprising that a lot of resiliency, um, you know, looked like millennial behavior that people have complained about. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's, I love it. <laughs> my own self. I do too. I do too. And so how can a leader build that resiliency? Don't fix. Don't rescue. Don't sympathize. People come to you and go, oh my gosh, I hear that you're struggling. Thank you for sharing that. And what have you thought about doing? And who do you know that is really great at this? And, and what did you try? 
And then what did you try? And then what did you try? But it's not as much what you do to build resiliency as what you stop doing to build resiliency. One thing leaders do is they sympathize. People come up and they go, you know, we still haven't heard from the product launch team a final answer for Tuesday. If I were being great, I would say, oh my gosh, I bet that's starting to be a bit stressful for you. What could you do next that would add value? Who do you think you can connect with? That's the perfect response. Sympathy is unbelievable. They've done this to us for years, collude together, decide that the product launch team is the problem, we're amazing. What I do is I reinforce your victim mindset that we're awesome, they're not, or I go, oh, thanks for telling me, I will call them, then I will draft an email to you, and then I will do everything for the team. Product launch isn't my responsibility, but I will take it. And what we reinforce in people then is that they're also victims. Anytime something out of the ordinary comes up, escalate it because you're not capable. And, and, and that's our fixing. So if you're doing kind of older leadership stuff, your helping is hurting your resiliency. I love that. And that, that really brings me full circle now. You, you had a complete change in business. A lot of things closed out. Everything's different now. What, what's new? What are you working on? What are the new projects? What's on size, what's on size window right now? I love it. Well, uh, we too use the time to get some things and processes we've had on our list that we use kind of the excuse of time. Um, but then we quickly shifted into up in the ante on our virtual live events and our virtual um, training events. We set up two really incredible studios. We took it to the next level. We have all kinds of new ways that we can do virtual keynotes. And um, we just did a three-day training to rave reviews, all virtual. Um, but what is really exciting for me is I'm doing a lot more work on resiliency. We're offering a lot of sessions on leading in uncertain times and employee sessions on how to stay fully engaged. Um, but probably what's most exciting, my retreat in Mexico, I got a new book contract. So I'm oh. writing a book called Life's Messy, Live Happy. And it's a lot about how I live these principles in my personal life, because I get asked that a lot. And, and no, it is not telling you how perfect my life is. It is telling you how messy my life is and how these principles help when I use them. I love it. That's beautiful. What's the best way for people to, to get a hold of you, to reach you and to, to connect with you, Cy? Perfect. Any at Cy Wakeman. So on any social media, just at Cy Wakeman is a fantastic way to get in touch with us and connect with us. Um, we have a wonderful No Ego podcast ourselves every week and uh, connect with us on all the social media um, channels. That's fantastic. When you were, uh, when you visited our Sherm booth last year and there were lines around the booth and through the aisles, that was just um indicative of how how needed your message is and i very much appreciate you participating today thank you it's a blast to be together at sherm and your uh team is just top-notch professionals it was it was wonderful to be affiliated thanks for listening to this episode of the paychecks hr leadership series podcast you can listen to other episodes and check out the paychecks business series hosted by gene marks at paychecks.com slash works with an x slash podcasts. All of these podcasts are also available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and your favorite podcast station. Thank you once again.
This podcast is property of Paychex Inc., 2020, all rights reserved.